morning, everybody. Good to see you guys. My name is Nate Wagner, and I'm one of the pastors here at Portico. And yeah, this is going to wrap up our series, Jesus Talks. And um, we're going to be looking at Jesus and Peter today. And so we're going to get to know Peter. But before we do, how do you guys feel about public embarrassment? Everybody loves it. Anybody want to come and share their most embarrassing moment? No. That's what I thought. I was counting on it, actually, because I don't want to hear it. <laughs> embarrassment is something we can all very kind of readily identify with. Um, from young ages, we can understand what it means to um, kind of be humiliated in front of other people. And um, Peter is no different. And he had probably the most spectacular public humiliation, maybe in all of Scripture. Um, but certainly John in this gospel draws attention to it and kind of sets Peter up to take this massive fall from grace. Um, and today we're going to look at kind of what happens with that. How does that get resolved? How does that end um, or not end? And so we are going to be in the last chapter of the Gospel of John, looking at John 21. So you can turn there with me. And we're just going to be focusing on verses 15 through 19. But actually, we're going to be kind of like doing a little survey of some of the different interactions that Peter has throughout the entire Gospel of John, just so that we can get some of this background that John basically assumes that we have at this point. So I'm just going to read this part, and then we will dive in. John chapter 21, verse 15. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show him by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we, um, we come before you this morning and we desperately need to hear this. We need to see how you take our pride, how you take our plans, our aspirations, and you put them to death, quite frankly. And you, you teach us what it means to know you in this fallen world, in a world where we don't know where we're going to go. And so, God, I ask that you would, that you would be with us, that your spirit would be with us to encourage us in the face of that, in the face of uncertainty, in the face of unknowing, in the face of shame, that you offer yourself to us and you show us that that is, that is more than enough. 
So Lord, give us, um, give us this time here together this morning to sit under your wor- word to learn from you and that our hearts would be changed. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. So this passage, really, it, it's all about following Jesus. And you can tell that's the last thing that Jesus says in this interaction. He says, follow me. But it's not just following Jesus. It's following Jesus with humbled love. Following Jesus with humbled love is the theme that we're going to dive into. And to kind of get there, we have to start where Peter started. And Peter started in this place of, um, in this place of pride, in this place of um, aspiration, in this place of ambition. And it happens way back in Jesus' very first interaction with Peter in John 1, verse 42. Because we learn that Peter is actually not named Peter. He's named Simon. That's the name that his family gave him, his dad gave him, the name Simon. Simon means you have heard or you have received. And so in that, there's kind of like this... um, It's like dot, dot, dot. It's an ellipse. You have received, now what? And so it's kind of a name that um, has a question mark at the end of it. It's not like a super strong name. And so Jesus, when he meets Simon, he calls him to follow him. And then Jesus looks at him and he said, You are Simon, son of John, but you shall be called Cephas, which is Aramaic for Peter. And Peter means rock, both in the Aramaic and in the Greek. And so Jesus gives him this new name, Peter, you're rock, you're solid, you're strong. And then you can kind of read the rest of Peter's interaction and his ministry is kind of trying to live up to that. So he gets super excited by just the fact that Jesus, the Messiah, the one who's kind of leading the charge, has identified me as the person who is the rock. He's the rock on whom Jesus is going to build the church. He's kind of the lead disciple. Jesus welcomes him into the inner circle, into the fold. And so Peter is just really, really ambitious as a disciple. He's kind of always the first one to answer. He kind of always knows the right answer, but he also gets things wrong in spectacular fashion. He kind of, like, his ambition kind of leaves Peter imprints in walls. Like, he just runs right through the wall. Um, And so you have to love him. You have to feel for him. But you also have to identify yourself with him. That when you look at Peter, you're getting a glimpse into the pride of the human heart. We kind of look inside ourselves and think that we are able to impress God. That we're able to kind of engender favor with God on our own merits, by our own strength, by our knowledge, by our performance, by what we do, by our leadership, all of these things. And you see this perfectly in one of Peter's interactions with Jesus. And this is in John chapter 13, and I'll read it for you guys so you don't have to turn there. John chapter 13, verses 36 through 38. This is... um, kind of the disciples hanging out with Jesus. And Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus told them, I'm leaving. And Jesus answered him, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, 
but you will follow afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you? I will lay down my life for you. I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. So you see kind of like this ambition, this pride, this confidence that Peter um, just kind of lunges into in his interaction with Jesus. Jesus saying, no, you can't go where I'm going, Peter. And of course, Jesus is talking about the cross. He's talking about the sacrifice that he's about to make for the disciples, for the world. And Peter wants to follow him. And Jesus says, you won't now, but you will later. And then Peter offers this kind of like very robust, you know, grand gesture of his love for Jesus by saying, I would lay down my life for you. And Jesus sees right through it. says, no, not only will you not lay down your life for me right now, but you are going to abandon me. You're going to deny me. And so Jesus sees through the pride of Peter's heart, and he starts to kind of open up to Peter the possibility that maybe he's not as good as he thinks he is. Maybe his love for Jesus isn't as pure as he wants Jesus to believe. And this is really kind of like an illustration of what we do with God all the time. Because in our hearts, we have a desire to be our own savior, to be our own righteousness, to be enough on our own. And we kind of, especially within the church, we kind of spiritualize that into kind of like, oh, this is, this is how I do this, is maybe I know the right answers, know the right things, and then also demonstrate to other people that I know the right answers, know the right things. Maybe it's by what you're doing. Maybe it's you want others to make sure that they see you performing well, but you aren't as excited about them seeing you failing. We do this kind of two ways, I would say, basically. One is that we kind of elevate our victories, or we hide our embarrassments. We hide our failures. We hide the imperfections. And it's showing us that really we aren't comfortable <laughs> with those parts. We aren't comfortable with the fact that we're not enough on our own. We're not comfortable with ourselves in front of God. But we want to be. And so in this, in this conversation that we're going to kind of dive into and open up, we're going to see that there's a humiliation that humbles and a love that heals. So from the pride of the human heart, we're going to enter into this humiliation that humbles and love that heals. And this happens in an interesting way. I don't know if you guys noticed this, but right there in verse 15, they eat breakfast as disciples. And then Jesus kind of like zooms in on Peter, but he calls him Simon. So Jesus had been calling Peter throughout their ministry together. So since that first interaction, he had been calling him Peter. And now, after the denial, he calls him Simon. 
again. It says, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And so he's doing a couple things here. One, he's going back to the very beginning with Peter, or Simon, saying, we didn't get it. You didn't understand what it meant to be the rock, what it meant to be Peter, because you made it about yourself. And so we have to go all the way back to the beginning. That's humiliating. This is public, like in front of the rest of the disciples, Jesus kind of saying to him, like, we're not there. We have to go back to the very beginning. And then the other thing that he does is he kind of opens up this wound that Peter is kind of just in the back of his mind, like, don't talk about this, don't talk about this, don't talk about this. And he does it because he says, hey, Simon, do you love me more than these? And so, like, that's an interesting thing because, like, more than what? Does it mean that, does Peter love Jesus more than he loves the disciples? Does it mean that Peter loves Jesus more than he loves his, like, fishing equipment? Well, it seems pretty clear from what comes next. He's saying the, the real question here is, Peter, do you love me more than the other disciples love me? And it's going right to the root of that pride that Peter demonstrated. Because Peter was always kind of the one to put himself at the front of the line of the disciples. And so Jesus is just checking in with him and saying, do you love me more than they love me? And you see Peter's response, the the very first response is he drops the more than these and he roots his answer in the knowledge of Jesus. He says, Jesus, you know that I love you. And he leaves it there. He doesn't make a statement of comparison to the other people around him. He just says, Lord, I am what I am, and you know the degree to which I love you. And so his humiliation is opened up, and then Jesus kind of moves on to the next thing. He moves on to the next thing, and he asks basically the same question again. Have you guys ever been asked the same question three times? Like, right in a row? It's, well, not by kids. (laughs) It's very disconcerting, especially when it's someone like your boss asking you the same question three times in a row. Hey, did did you do a good job on that? Yeah, I did. No, did you do a good job on that? Yes. Did you do a good job on that? And now you're like, this is a setup. I'm not going to answer. I'm just going to listen. And that's kind of the effect that is, that's happening here is that Jesus is slowing things way down. And so he's not going to allow Peter to kind of hang out in the denial or in the kind of like pretending arena that what happened didn't really happen. But he also doesn't go into this conversation to hurt Peter. He doesn't go into the conversation to kind of like re-traumatize Peter. He's doing this to heal Peter. And he does it through this threefold questioning. So Jesus slows down. And he just kind of like brings the shame of this public betrayal, this public failure, out into the light, out into the open. And that's 
that's what he does with us, and we don't want it, right? Like just getting back to the, to the pride of our hearts. We don't want this to happen, so we'll distract ourselves. And we're really good at this. We fill silence with noise. We fill quiet with entertainment. Anything to kind of distract us from any type of shame or discomfort that's happening in our relationship with God, in our relationship with the Lord. And so part of what we're learning here is what Jesus does, what he wants to do, is he wants to slow that down and he wants to enter into it. He wants to heal it. And in this way, Jesus is, by asking this question, he's actually demonstrating his love for Peter. He's also asking three times for another reason. And the three times correspond directly with the three times that Peter denied him. And you might say, oh, isn't that just a coincidence? Like, you might be making too much of that. Maybe. But there's an interesting detail back in verse 9 of this context. And it's that all the disciples come out to breakfast and eat breakfast with Jesus. So Jesus calls them out of the boat. They come out of the boat, and they come to a charcoal fire. A charcoal fire. It's very descriptive. It's only referenced one other time in the entire New Testament. And that other time is in John 18. So let's look at John 18, verses 15 through 18. So Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. Since that disciple was known to the high priest, he entered with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest, but Peter stood outside of the door. So the other disciple, and this is John, most people agree, who was known to the high priest, went out and spoke to the servant girl who kept watch at the door and brought Peter in. The servant girl at the door said to Peter, you also are not one of this man's disciples, are you? He said, I am not. Now the servants and the officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold, and they were standing and warming themselves. Peter also was with them, standing and warming himself. And so this charcoal fire is actually a little detail that just connects these two events. So you have Jesus's, or Peter's denial of Jesus here. And notice who it's happening towards. It's happening to a little servant girl. So in terms of like pressure applied to Peter, it was nothing. Like the little servant girl is probably just curious. And that is too much pressure for Peter. And so he denies Jesus. And so you see this, this threefold denial corresponding to this threefold questioning. And it shows us kind of the precision with which Jesus will heal us. He enters into the exact details of our embarrassment, of our shame, and he binds them up. He doesn't do it abstractly, but he does it in minute detail. He's a very skilled surgeon. He knows exactly where the source of Peter's shame is. And so Peter kind of goes from this place of um, hoping that Jesus doesn't bring up this awkward thing that happened 
Kind of like if you get like a, you know, you are driving down um, the highway and you get flashed. You're like, oh, I just got a ticket. And then a couple months go by and you still don't get it in the mail. You're like, hmm, maybe it got lost in the mail. Maybe it's just not there, right? That's kind of where Peter's at. He's like, hung out with Jesus a couple times. He hasn't brought it up. Maybe the like crucifixion, resurrection thing made him forget about that. Maybe I'm okay, but it's still there. And so Jesus goes into it very precisely to heal him, to restore him. And then the end of this conversation, we get Peter's commission to feed my sheep, but that's not actually the final instruction that he gets. It's to follow him. It's to follow him. So after Jesus restores Peter and says, feed my sheep, go and do now what you should have been doing. He says, but do it in this way. So he references the pride again. If you, look, if you look here, he says, when you were young, you dressed yourself and you went where you wanted to go. There's kind of like this youthful arrogance, this pride of like, oh, I see that hill, I want to climb it and take it and win it for Jesus. And show off how good Jesus is through my victories. But Jesus says, that's not what you're going to do. What you are going to do is you are going to be taken where you do not want to go. You are going to be used in your shame, in, the, in your weakness, in your uncertainty. And we get this little kind of anecdote that's saying, he's saying this to show Peter what kind of death he was to glorify God with. What kind of death he was going to glorify God with. So Peter makes this promise, right? I will lay down my life for you. And Jesus takes that in its arrogance, refines it, washes it, makes it a humble offering and then brings it to completion. But it's not in the way that Peter would have ever wanted. It's not going to be in some glorious way. In fact, we don't even have an account of Peter's death in Scripture. It's just kind of like a myth of the early church that he was martyred. But we have nothing certain. He just kind of fades away. So Peter is humbled, and he's got humbled love that then ends up in this instruction to follow Jesus. But follow him where? Do you, ever, do you guys ever kind of get confused by the ambiguity or abstract nature of that statement? Like, follow Jesus. It's like, oh, okay, well, that makes sense because he's right here and I can just go with him. Like, no, that's not, that's not what that's meaning. That's not what it's trying to communicate. And so I think let's look at three ways to answer that question of humbled love following Jesus and it's following Jesus through different things. And so Peter, in this statement, he gets three different instructions. Follow Jesus through continued failure. So what doesn't happen here, even as Peter is restored, he's not perfected. Like in the very, in the very next interaction, Peter is back to like, oh, but what about John? He's starting to worry about what John is going to do. And then later we know from Galatians that Peter 
at the church in Antioch actually starts kind of separating himself from Gentile Christians. He'll talk with them, but then when the circumcision party or like the, the Jewish elite show up, he will only sit with fellow Jews. He's separating himself from fellow Christians. And Paul's critique of that is that you, Peter, are not walking in step with the gospel. This is another public failure. This is Peter still not getting it. He's a work in progress. He's, he's not this perfect, shining example of what a good Christian is. Or is he? So it's through continued failure, and then it's also through uncertainty. So Peter's instruction here comes kind of like with a lot of uncertainty swirling around. Because Jesus has said, I'm going to ascend and be with the Father, and then the Spirit is going to come, and I'm going to send you out. So follow me through that. And it's alluded to in that kind of like little parabolic statement where he says, when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. There's an uncertainty to that. That's not very definitive or controllable. Someone else has the control. So through uncertainty. And we have, to, we have to kind of reckon with this too. I know in this area, we are mostly planning type of people. And if there's one thing that we've learned from COVID, it's that planning is a luxury. It's nice to be able to plan things out. But planning is also dependent on a future that we have no control over. And sometimes we can kind of like, cover that up and mask that with just our skill or our money or our smarts. But then things happen where it becomes super apparent that we don't have control like we think we do. And so we follow Jesus through uncertainty. And so this morning we have to realize like we are being called to follow Jesus through these doors and we have no idea what is going to happen. But we do know this, it probably looks way different than you think. You don't know whether Jesus is going to give you a life of joy to follow him in, a life of happiness mostly, or a life of pain. You don't know if Jesus is going to give you strength to follow him in, or disability and weakness. You don't know if it's going to be through a wonderful, beautiful picture of familial love in your family, or if it's going to be defined by rebellion and scars and wounds. And all we receive is just, follow me. Follow me. I am enough. And ultimately, we are going to follow Jesus through death. And so, if you don't have love that has been humbled by your standing with God, by the realization that Jesus was crucified because you weren't enough, because you have failed, if you don't realize that every, every embarrassment, every fault that you make privately is actually very public, 
to Jesus. And your love for him has not been humbled in that way. You will not follow him through to your death and through death. But if, if you have, then that's a promise that is given to you just as it was given to Peter. That yes, Peter, the worst thing you can possibly imagine is going to happen to you. You are going to die, and it's going to be an anonymous and very unglamorous death. But I will be glorified in it, and that will be enough for you. And by every indication from Peter's writings and even from his life, even though he's not perfect, he has those continual struggles, those continual failures it was enough for him. He was, he was content to fail publicly and follow Jesus through it. He was content to enter into complete uncertainty and chaos and follow Jesus through it. And he was content to enter into an anonymous, meaningless, seemingly death and follow Jesus through it. And so that's where basically the Gospel of John ends. And if you remember, John is wanting people to know that Jesus is the Christ and to believe in him and have eternal life. And so this, this last statement that Jesus makes to Peter in this interaction here, follow me, that is what we are to take away from this Gospel, is to follow Jesus through it, to trust him to not see your own satisfaction or your own worth or your own righteousness in yourself, but trusting Jesus every step of the way. And that's the call. So follow him. Follow him through these doors. Follow him through uncertainty. And follow him through your death. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this morning. Lord, I... I praise you that the rock that you have built your church on is this person, this, this person of public failure, of shame, this person who just never seems to quite get it or wrap his head around what is required of him. And yet your, your grace shines through that. Your love for your people comes through that. And it helps us to love you, Lord. You give us exactly what you require. You give us your son, and he teaches us how to love you. So, Lord, we, we thank you so much for that gift, and we just ask that we would continue to hold to it and that we would indeed follow you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.